Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm your host, Marcus Gillis, and we're recording live from Banjo, Colorado. Population growing. Welcome to episode one of season two of the Live from Banjo podcast. And how is my enchanting Miss Crystal feeling? How do you feel to be back, back in Banjo, Colorado? I'm stoked. I'm stoked because you have a good lineup. The season is already pretty exciting. And I've actually gotten to meet a couple of the guests this round, which is really cool and interesting. I still don't get to be in the interviews. Nobody cares about my questions, but I've at least gotten to meet some people. Yes. Being back out amongst folks and a little bit less virtual meetings is has helped with that, but uh, I'm excited and revitalized. Fucking pump. I even got to give a haircut to one of the guests. You did. I did. Yeah. Before we get going, though, a little housekeeping. I want to apologize to both the uh, the artist and the listeners for the sudden end to the first season and the uh, the long gap in between the last episode and now. Long story short, I relapsed, then I got COVID, which I was recovering from COVID at the time of this interview that you're about to hear today. And then you can hear in my perpetual cold sound and my voice throughout the episode. Nevertheless, these catalysts ended up being a thread from the sweater that just kept being pulled on. Could we uh, make sure that we're clear that you were not interviewing this person in person while you had COVID? This was a virtual interview. Yeah, yeah. I think it's mentioned in the interview, but this is a virtual interview. He did not make anyone unsafe during his time with COVID. I did not. And I was actually, the day that I did this, I was coming out of quarantine. So I'd have been done with my quarantine when oh. I did the interview. However, you can't transmit COVID through virtual recordings as far as I know. Really? I feel yeah. like lots of people have probably tried. Sure. And there is that 5G. Oh, yeah. So uh, anyway, had some personal mental health issues that I had to take care of. Got back sober. I'm healthy. Healthy? Happy and healthy is healthy? Healthy. Happy and healthy. Healthy as a clom. Fuck it. Okay. <laughs> Let's just say I'm much better now. And ready to get the horse back on the wagon? Mm. People say that? We're ready to change horse. Horses are carting people in wagons and Walter's at the door. Okay, Walter is nestled snugly in his bed, kind of. Okay, today we're here to talk about Nicole Atkins. Yeah. Nicole is a singer, songwriter. She started playing piano at nine years old, guitar at 13. Playing in bands in high school, she moved to North Carolina for college at UNC Charlotte, where she studied illustration. And then she moved to New York. She used to book shows for the Abbott brothers when they got their start and has always enjoyed bringing folks together. She introduced the Abbott brothers, Regina Spector and Langhorn Slim at a small club in New York. She has five EPs and six full length albums, including Italian Ice, which was released during the pandemic. We discuss in this conversation and post interview, she released Memphis Ice, which is a strings and piano reimagining of Italian Ice, which is fucking amazing. Italian Ice is one of your new uh, vinyls, isn't it? That is Memphis Ice. Oh, I must have just seen Ice. Yeah. Also, she's from Neptune City, which makes her sound like she's from an arcade game. It's got a cool name. 
Or like a roller skating rink. Yeah. Okay. That so is all. I do love Memphis Ice and I did get it on vinyl. And if you can go grab it on vinyl, then go out and do it because she only printed a very small batch of those. But I think there's still a few out in the world. So her first album, Neptune City, which I came to know her music, is also Nicole's birthplace and where she grew up in New Jersey. That album was released in 2007. Things look like she was on the rise to superstardom with Rolling Stone doing her first profile and a lot of buzz and success from an American Express ad starring Nicole. The album release seemed to be perfectly timed. However, Columbia had brought on Rick Rubin to put his finger on the already finished album. Mr. Rubin ended up holding on to the album to do some tinkering and the album ended up being released many months after the buzz had died down. However, Nicole didn't stop there and culminated a strong following of loyal fans over the years. And you can actually go and join Nicole on her Patreon page, Natkin's Fun House, which we talk about where you get personal art from Nicole. Thank you so much for everyone that is listening. Please tell your friends, family, and complete strangers about the show. And again, please follow us on Facebook at Marcus Gillis or on Instagram at Live from Banjo Podcast. Comment on the show's post to let us know what you think. For those new to the show, please stick around after the interview for Crystal and I to discuss thought-provoking questions, music history, and whatever else comes to us. Sometimes it gets pretty fucking weird. So Crystal, what's in the wrap-up tonight? Tonight in the wrap-up we talk about Pocket Rockets. We talk about every person that put out an album on Pocket Rockets. (laughs) I'm not really sure why. We talk a lot about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty which is the only part of the conversation that I was even really paying attention to and how our beautiful dog is named after the main character in that movie. Danny 1 and Danny 2. Only one of these is an actual human. We talk about traffic in unreal related notes. We also briefly touch on if you are in the left lane, it is technically a passing lane, not a just hang out at the exact speed as the person next to you lane. So maybe check that. Oh, unfortunately, we also cover unclenching your butthole. All right. And now and please and now and please right now at this moment, please enjoy my conversation with the very funny and incredibly talented singer and artist, Nicole Atkins. Can I MacGyver today to make this work? <laughs> All right, that's gonna work. That is uh, two bottles of moisturizer. Two bottles of moisturizer did it. Yeah, holding up my microphone. So I'm trying to picture this without having you move the uh, camera to see this, but is it like front and back of these two bottles of moisturizer, or are you stacked on? T- no, it's on top of two of them. They're stacked. That's a balance. They're a square bottle of moisturizer. The jars. Oh, okay. All right. They're wee jars. <laughs> I did not even think about it being a jar. Well, thanks for coming on after I I stalked you at the Boulder Theater. I know. I was like, who is this sketchball? <laughs> I, I totally was sketchy. But uh, I told my wife afterwards and I, was, I came out of the show and... Uh, I saw you in the crowd too. And I was like, oh, cool. Oh, you did? Someone likes this. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's good. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Spoon. I love Spoon. Yeah, yeah. I've gone to see Spoon couple of times over the years, but uh, that show specifically, I had gone to see Nicole Atkins, not Spoon. But (laughs) 
I walked around the back after your set. There's nobody back there in the smoking area. And I was like, the only way I'm going to catch her is if I catch her back here. Yeah. Because of all the COVID restrictions. I know. And so I waited in the middle of the spoon and I was like, I'm just going to go check one more time. And then you were on the phone and then I felt like a super creeper. <laughs> so I, was, I was trying to wait for you to get off the phone. This, okay. is a, this is great podcast material. I was waiting for you to ask me for money. <laughs> yeah. I do look a little homeless. No. I got a little homelessy vibe going on. I mean, I feel like we all do, except for when I'm in show clothes. Then I'll look like an expensive hobo. Yeah. You know, you were fancy. Yeah, the shoes. The shoes. These were a mistake. They were. Yeah, I bought them for the video just to wear them in the video. And somebody's like, yeah, if you just put tape on the bottom, then, uh, you know, you can return them because you're only wearing them for like a little bit. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. And I put the wrong tape on it. I put scotch tape and it all got into the shoe. And I was like, shit, I own Gucci shoes now and I have no money. So, but I love them. I mean, they were fancy shoes. <laughs> when I saw the shoes, I was like, that is a committed choice to fashion versus function. I mean, they're really comfy. They're so comfy. And they walk fine. I can walk in them. They're so comfy. And like, I don't know, I kind of understand why people buy expensive shit now. Yeah. Because it fits really well and it doesn't fall apart and it doesn't wrinkle. I've gotten there as well. Like I just buy the thing that I want to buy. Yeah. And then I keep it for 10 years because they yeah. actually last. When you buy the cheap shit, mm -hmm. you got to buy a new one every year. I know. And it's like, well... I'm just going to spend 10 years worth on this one thing. And then it's it'll true. Be it's, it's, it's hard. But if you like to shop, though, you can't really do that. I'm not a big shopper. I am. I feel like since I quit drinking, I love shopping now. <laughs> like It's bad. Amazon is a problem for me or can be. But Amazon yeah. was, I think, more of a problem for me drinking than not drinking because I would just get shit at my door Yeah, three or four days later. And I was like, who sent me this? I did. Yeah. What? Oh, my God. Somebody <laughs> sent me a present. <laughs> yeah. Ryan's like, we don't need mosquito screens. And I'm like, but oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. Actually, when my wife and I first started dating, I had uh, split up from my daughter's mom. And I was living in this house by myself and uh, I got a package at my door one day and I just didn't remember ordering this DVD of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Uh -huh. And uh, it ended up becoming my wife and I's kind of favorite, but I dated a girl right before my wife that also had mentioned to me that I should watch The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Why do I know? I feel like I haven't it's seen It's Ben Stiller. It's fantastic. You should watch it. Is it? Yeah. Cool. It's like... Ben Stiller's best movie. Better than Zoolander? I like it better than Zoolander, yeah. That's big. But it's a profound movie for me. Like I, okay. I, it had some emotional connection. Yeah. Yeah. So I got this DVD and I didn't know who to talk to about it because I had dated this girl and then we had stopped dating, but we had remained friends. And then I was now dating this new girl. And then finally she brought it up and I was like, thank God. <laughs> I didn't well, know how to. That's the thing about dating people. You can always like take the things that... Uh, you know, they turn you on to and bring them forward. Yeah. No, no, that is. I was a hopeless yeah. romantic growing up. So like I would fall in love and that was the person that I was mm -hmm. meant to be with. And then, but I think it's just the addict kind of brain yeah. that I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Love drugs. <laughs> love drugs. Love drugs. Love, love the booze. Um, just a little bit too much. Yeah. Yeah. With booze, I don't know. It's just like such a weird thing. I can't even get drunk and then I still want to do it continuously. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> that was like me. I'm like, oh my God, this sucks. Oh, I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like the other person pouring it yeah. into your mouth. Yeah. Um, Eagle. So at this show, the one thing I wanted to talk to about this show in Boulder was you had a drum machine as your drummer, Danny too. Mm-hmm. I hate that thing. You said you hate that thing? Yeah. I can imagine. It's kind of like playing to a click track. Yeah. It's just like when you're playing disco song, like, you know, our single domino, it's a disco yeah. song. And it's like, we have to do that. That's the whole point of why we're out there. And uh, the drum machine helps with that, but it's nothing like the real thing. You know, no. we just kept saying how much we loved it just to give our regular drummer, Danny, you know, shit. shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I completely got that. And so Danny what was his issue that had gotten him stuck in California? Oh, I made that up. You did? Yeah. I said that he got arrested in Memphis. You said he got arrested in Memphis. And then I tried to like cyber stalk the way that I do. Yeah. I was like, wait a second. It looks like he wasn't planning to come or maybe no. he had like a passport issue or something. He did have a passport issue. He was supposed to go to uh, Switzerland or he did go to Switzerland, but he was supposed to leave the day after we played the Troubadour and his passport expired in six months. So they wouldn't let him in. I guess if your passport is expiring in six months, it's up to them to say if they'll let you in or not. Yeah. Which I don't really get, you know, it's like, okay, it expires in six months, but he found this woman that Houdini to passport for him and got the Congress from Memphis to help him out. It was a process. It was like a crazy day. That sounds like it. So you guys had kind of planned, but normally are you touring then with the full band? Yeah, we're doing the East Coast with the full band. You know, we had to pick between the five shows out by you in Colorado and Aspen or the East Coast shows. And when you're opening for a band, you're not getting paid normally. (laughs) Yeah, very rare. You're paying for your ticket from one place to the next. Yeah. So we had to just choose which one we were going to go into debt with. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. So I found your music i believe it was through langhorn's page on myspace myspace used to be my way into music myspace was the best back in the day It was the best. It was just a stupid thing when everybody went over to Facebook, in my opinion. I still believe that wholeheartedly. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how I got my music discovered. You know, I uploaded my original demos and then people started hearing them and connecting with it. I remember getting a MySpace message from Mark Lanigan about Neptune City. And I was just like, oh, my God. You know, because like, I love him. I was like, is this him? Holy shit, this works. And then you recorded with him. Yeah. Years and years later. Yeah. But I was an Ava Brothers fan. I had a tattoo artist friend in Atlanta before I had moved out to LA in late 2004 that was kind of friends with Davids at that time. And then they were playing a show in Atlanta in 2005. Was it at the Variety Playhouse? No, it was at the Earl. The Earl. Nice. In East Atlanta. Yeah, I always play there. I went to LA and had just become like a diehard Avid fan at this point. Yeah. I was their old booking, their old booking agent back in the day. I've heard that. Yeah. So I went to LA and I was looking for new music and I found Regina Spector and Langhorn on their MySpace. And then Langhorn posted something about you coming out with Neptune City. Nice. I think that was in 2007. And then and that was, that was how I came to find you. Was Neptune City. Nice. I was a huge Scott Walker fan. Yeah, me too. You know what? I never knew about Scott Walker until a lot of people started telling me that Neptune City reminded them of Scott Walker 4. Uh, and I was like, cool, I got to check that out. And then I was like, oh my God, this is the best. Scott Walker 4 was my introduction. I was living in a guest house in Japan when I was 21. And the manager. Oh, lucky. I want to go there so bad. It's a pretty great place. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't been there now. 
in a lot of years. But I just love they have stationary stores everywhere. I'm going to go nuts when I go there. Do you do a lot of scrapbooking? No, I do a lot of artwork. <laughs> no, I, I love collecting stationery. I'm like a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> they have a lot of cool stuff that comes out ahead of the pack. I did miss the boat. I went over there when I was like 19 to go visit a friend. My best friend growing up was from Osaka. And so I went over there and uh, I bought a mini disc player because uh-huh. I thought that was going to be... the. F- I thought the mini disc thing was going to be the future too because it's so portable. And I thought you had to be rich to have an iPod. Yeah, it felt the same way. I got an, <laughs> a mini disc player. I bought all these mini discs and uh, I put everything that I had on my tape collection and my CD collection on mini disc. onto mini disc. And I used I to walk that. around with like a pocket full of mini discs. Yeah. It's almost <laughs> like, when, like, I think we're maybe around the same age. October 78. Yeah. And I'm February 80. Okay. Remember pocket rockers? Yeah. When I had like a fat boys pocket rocker <laughs> and like the, with a the little tiny, they were like little mini eight track tapes. Yeah. And you had like the mini Walkman. I was like, this is the coolest, but it would only play 30 seconds of the song. <laughs> Yeah. I think they even had like a spell where they were like putting them in like cereal boxes or something. Really? I miss that. Maybe I'm lying about that. My memory's fading yeah. in certain ways. I can like remember everything from childhood and nothing from the last five years. It's crazy. I think I'm better. I had some like childhood trauma when I was young and I think I just like cut off a piece of childhood. Yeah. I mean, I remember music. So music has been yeah. like the one core thing that has been a part of my life. Music and movies. Mm-hmm. And that ends up being the only thing that I know are song lyrics and bands and uh, quotes from movies. It's just totally. a problem. <laughs> On the last like half an hour of the drive yesterday, we drove 12 hours to Philly and 12 hours back oh, wow. to do a festival. Yeah. And my best friend's father was our local Irish folk singer, Joe Finn. And so I was playing my husband like all these songs that he used to sing to us. They, the, the band, the Irish Rovers had like some versions on YouTube. But I was like, I knew all of the words. And they were, you know, a lot of words to like, <laughs> hey, ho, the Rutland bog, bog down in the valley. Oh, on that tree, he had a limb. What kind of limb? A Rutland limb. And like just knew all of the words from like fifth grade. My dad actually had a really good really good taste in music real eclectic yeah and so it kind of brought that onto me and then i at a young age just got into whatever wasn't mainstream 10 or 11 and so then i just started seeking me too yeah i became a snob at 11 <laughs> for sure yeah yeah so with your new album italian ice which you're now getting to play in front of people i love that album it was one of my favorite pandemic albums oh nice thanks so is it just phenomenal getting to be out amongst the folks it is because you know seeing people in the crowd like singing the the words i just kind of felt like we put the record out and we were doing that variety show but then after that you know the label always says like oh we're in it for the long haul but it's like oh well your album cycle's over yeah and it's like we didn't even get to do anything yet you know so going out on the road and seeing people, this one lady's like, in the splinters, you know, which is the last song on the record. She's like, play it. It just feels so nice to be heard and see physically that people connected with what you made because I can make a painting in a day, but like you make an album over three years, writing it, putting it together, putting the concept. So much goes into it. And then pandemic happens and you don't get to see anybody. So you're just kind of like, man, do I even make another record anymore? And then you get out on the road and you see, okay, wow, yes, this this is the reason that you make the records to connect with people and get it to them. Yeah. You know? Each album, they feel like they have kind of thematic similarities. And then you have also like this transition and the last one with the disco. It was a fun album to have in the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it was a summer record. It was a summer boardwalk 
Jersey Shore record when they were like, oh, well, maybe we'll be able to go out by the winter. And it's like, well, it's a summer record and people are inside. So we need to give them the vacation for their ears, at least. It was like my personal dance party around my house, had my headphones in. Good. Yeah. Man, I wrote a kid's song during the pandemic. It's a song about Pizza Friday for kids. But like, I was trying to make it sound like ESG. It is the best jam ever. Like, I'm like, is it weird that the be- like the most like danceable song I've ever written is a kid's song? I don't know. Domino's it's a kid's pretty- song for adults too. Like, I wish we could play it at our shows. <laughs> be so fun. Why don't you just do it? Because it's for kids. I don't know. Who cares? I know. I can do whatever <laughs> I want, but I don't know if I'm ready yet. I can definitely understand too <laughs> after taking a break. You're like, I just want to get out here and show people. What I do. But you know what's cool, though, is like I've had a disco song on every single record that I put out. So now, like after like my next two records, I'll have enough of them to put together on one album and be like the disco singles. With Italian Ice, you kind of recorded it with a a lot of different folks down in Alabama at Muscle Shoals. Really cool group of people. (laughs) With that, you had a new producer. Ben Tanner. So yeah, Ben and I co-produced it together. It's called Italian Ice. And so then I thought, okay, New Jersey, Italian Ice. But then I saw your artwork and I saw all these dice killing people. So then I was like, what? (laughs) is Italian ice with dice. And then I saw there was this almost like RPG kind of dice game that's called Italian ice. Did you know this? No, I made that up. It's actually just LCR. It's left, right, center, but I repackaged it to be Italian dice. So that is an Amazon shopping thing late night that happened. So I was like, I should make dice sets because Italian ice was kind of my dice rolling moniker. And, uh, you know, the record was going to be called forever. So I was thinking of the concept of like, man, I hope my grandma father and my cat live forever, you know, and it was like these songs to kind of honor where I'm from. And, you know, people can live on forever in music. If you make something that outlasts all of us. But then we just kept playing dice like after every session. And I put on Twitter, what if I called my record Italian Nice? And my friend was like, you won't. And so as soon as he said that, I was like, I double dog dare you, <laughs> you know, and I was like, I will. And I was like, you know what? Like, that's a badass name for a record. And I feel like once I transition into my like cabaret Liza Minnelli phase, I might not be able to call my record something cool like that. So I called it that. And like, I was up late and I was on Amazon and I was like, colored dice sets, colored tins, stickers, and like designed a sticker and made these like little LCR dice sets to sell on my merch table. So the dice that I found, it's like a seven piece game. Sounds like a role play thing. It is. Oh, wow. Called Italian Ice. Kind of look like a snow cone. So I was like, okay, maybe they're going for that with Italian Ice. That is very strange. Okay. Yeah, no. I didn't even know that existed. (laughs) They must be taken down. (laughs) You're like, I'm sorry, that's trademark. Yeah. (laughs) Although I'll probably be the one to be like, she must be taken down. You mentioned your grandfather and forever. Oh my God. (laughs) I've heard you talk about your grandma a lot. Were you really close? with all of your family growing up? Oh, yeah. Yeah, my grandparents, we like lived at their house for a bit. They were like a huge part of my life growing up. My grandfather had a landscaping business since the 50s and he moved over here. He was like the only son of six. There were seven kids, six sisters from Sicily. They all moved over. He was two. So he was like the golden child. I just remember like growing up and like riding on his lap in the truck. You know, he had have a beer. Different times, you know. Different times. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he always had like a garbage can of Budweiser 
or nips for all of his crew because they stay cold. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have a full can of beer and it's like, cool, you're drunk fast and you're drinking warm beer. Yeah. So I love like certain smells like gasoline, Budweiser smells. And um, my grandmother, she was a nurse and a beautician. And so their house was just really fun and they would always let me do whatever I wanted. <laughs> thing that I read that stuck in my head was that when Neptune City came out, your grandmother was concerned about what people were saying about the darkness of the album because she was worried that people were going to think that way about the area. Oh, saying it's not pretty and stuff. Yeah. But it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just not. Yeah. It's not like physically beautiful, but like in my mind it is. Yeah. Places can definitely be like that. Mm -hmm. My wife grew up in Iowa and she's like, Iowa mm -hmm. is not pretty. And then I go up there and I'm like, it's kind of pretty. Yeah. A lot of things are pretty. And she's like, no, what are you talking about? Don't say that. There's nothing halfway about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what were your parents doing growing up? Um, my mom was a homemaker and a waitress mm -hmm. and my dad worked in life insurance and he was like a boss. He was a GM of Prudential. Okay. So we got to go on like all these like fun like work trips for him he'd go to the prudential picnic and you know we'd go to like marco island where he'd get a trophy and i'd hang out with all the other kids it was fun yeah it was weird though because it's like i had no idea what he did and i didn't know what life insurance was and i didn't know why he made money from it and then he told me later he was like yeah life insurance became lucrative in the 80s because of aids and i'm like that's crazy that is crazy but it makes sense yeah and my dad, he grew up super, super poor. So he'd always be like, we're trash with cash, kids. <laughs> Nouveau riche. Yeah, totally. It's funny because our house, like we call one room in it, the flamingo room, because it's like forever 80s. It's all mauve, mint and like mirrored walls. And we grew up going to Atlantic City every weekend because my dad liked to gamble. So I thought we were like famous. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what was going on, but it's like we had front row seats to the Everly Brothers. My parents would put us at the kids club. And I was like, oh, it's this exclusive club just for kids. Meanwhile, it's like so they can go party. <laughs> it was fun. Do you have brothers or sisters? Yeah, I've got a younger sister and two older brothers. They're a lot older than me because my dad was married before. They're my real brothers. We're all very close. Are they up in the Northeast still? Yeah, everybody's still like around Neptune City. And um, my one brother lives down in Florida because he works for Pepsi. That makes sense. Yeah, that was my dad's job before Prudential. He was a uh, delivery man for Coca-Cola. And he said it was the best job he ever had because he was like, you know, the hot young dude bringing in the cold sodas for people. Everybody was happy to see him. <laughs> he talks about it really fondly. And then my brothers, they both ended up working for Coca-Cola. And then my one brother worked for Pepsi, which we love that he has a good job at Pepsi. But whenever he comes over and brings over cases of Pepsi, we're all like, ew. And he's like, shut up. I was just about to make a comment. I grew up um, just north of Atlanta and there is no Pepsi. Pepsi's, Pepsi's gross. gross. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get him as a sponsor, but that's okay. No, I was hoping to after this podcast. It's done. It's done. <laughs> we're both in on Coke. Coke, listen here, we're full in. Yeah. We'll put our names on the Cokes, whatever you need us to do. I would love to have my name on a Coke. Remember when they did that for a little bit? Yeah. I never had my name on the Coke. I didn't either. Nobody sent me a... But there is my name on a LaCroix now. It's called the Nicola. Cola version of LaCroix. Oh. It was just the other day when I was in Denver, I saw, and I was like, that soda has my name on it. And it was LaCroix. And I was like, yes, I love LaCroix. Speaking about things with your name on it, your fun house. Natkin's fun house. Are you a member? I'm not a member. You should be a member. It's really cool. $3 a month, man. Come on. I know. And you should be a member of the Live from Pedro. We'll, we'll do a swap. I will. It's $3 a month. <laughs> you'll you'll be a first. I'm doing like this community board where people can put in videos and do like an open mic kind of forum. And Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I like that. I don't know how to code. Yeah. 
but this podcast does not make me bukus of money. So I am trying to do everything as cheap mm-hmm. as possible. And uh, one of those things is figuring out how to do enough code to build my own community board so that I don't wow. have to pay for the $150 or whatever that somebody wants to build it for me. I know. I need to become friends with some teenagers so they can code for me. I do too. But when a, a guy with long hair and a beard comes asking around for a teen. I know. All you need is a white man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My wife and I are looking to get one of those Sprinter style vans. And so that's great. It won't be white. We're going to go gray, but you know, it'll be close enough. Come on, kids. Hey, are you guys good at coding? Come on in. <laughs> yeah. I have food and candy. <laughs> At first I was like, I don't like this thing, you know, and then right before the pandemic happened, I was thinking about Patreon. Every dollar I make goes back into my band or goes back into my art projects and I still have bills. So I wanted to figure out something I had to offer because I'm an artist as well. I'm an illustrator and a painter. You know, I can give people paintings. I could give them prints. So it's almost like an art club. Instead of buying like a one-off print, you could subscribe and you get art on the reg. So I was like, if I do this, I'll at least be able to come off a tour offer the people that come to the shows the full show and be able to pay my bills at the end. And then COVID happened and I was like, thank God for this thing. Yeah. Because I already had it set up and we would all talk, me and the people that joined the fun house. And I'd be like, are you guys okay? And they're like, are you okay? Is your record still like, and it became this really supportive community and everybody talks about what they do too. Like there's one woman that has a really cool radio show in Portland that she started during the pandemic. And like, you know, everybody just shares what they're doing. So that community board is really cool. Your idea. And, you know, we would play bingo because we were home every day. So I was like, you guys want to play bingo? And went on Etsy and got one of those like little bingo cages. It was fun. That sounds awesome. I saw one time you did like an Instagram live and I started watching it and you went into this improv routine with these. With uh, 24-7 and and Roger? Yes. (laughs) It was very improv. We did not know what we were doing at all. And then I saw when I was looking back at your Patreon setup that They 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 were in it. Who are these folks? So the one guy, Roger, in the blue suit, he's my fake manager. Yeah. It's actually like one of my best friends. He's an actor named Jim Turner. Okay. He's an actor and comedian. He was one of my first friends when I remember he sent me a MySpace message saying uh, his friend Ben from the band Honey Honey, who lives with his family out in LA, gave him my demos. And he was like, I think they're great. I love them, blah, blah, blah. If you're ever in LA, you should play this place called Largo. And then he said, I'm a comedian, been in a bunch of stuff, but uh, I was most well-known as Randy of the Redwoods from MTV back in the day, like early MTV. Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember Randy of the Redwoods, the hippie that was running for president? Recently, yeah. People have been asking me, Randy, when you're president, what are you going to do about foreign policy? How about defense and pollution? Are you going to balance the budget? I was obsessed with him. And I used to make like on my friend's camcorder, I'd pretend to be Randy. And I was like, holy shit. And I remember like telling my sister, like, Randy the Redwoods, I found him. And when I went to LA, I was supposed to write with a friend of mine. And I was there for seven days on the record label's dime. And he just brought me to parties and we didn't do any work. And I started to freak out because I was like, I need to go back with actual songs or something, you know? So I wrote Jim back and I was like, hey, I'm actually in LA now. And he was like, let me see if I can get you a show at Largo. And he did. Got me two nights at Largo, one with John Bryan and the Watkins family. Wow. Yeah. It was the old Largo and it was like, 
like, you know, the place where like Zach Galifianakis and Amy Mann and Fiona Apple, they'd all like do their thing there. Mm -hmm. Really small, just a wonderful place. That ended up becoming my LA experience and like my LA family. He always puts me in comedy bits and improv stuff. And whenever I'm there, I always stay in their basement. And like Dave Gruber, who, you know, he plays the guidance counselor in Freaks and Geeks. Okay, yeah. He lives in the basement <laughs> and like all these cool people. Like it's just a house full of like wonderful, weird, creative people. And his wife, Lynn, is like this incredible outsider art painter. I always said, if I ever get terminally ill, I want to die <laughs> in their basement because it's like just one of my favorite places. Kind of like a fun house of its own. It is. It is. It's like go into his costume room and we're all going to like have a costume dinner. It's fun. In high school, you were in musical theater trying mm -hmm. to sing a lot of soprano. Yeah, it didn't work out very well. <laughs> Did you ever have the acting bug as far as that being something you were thinking about doing? Yeah, I've always done like acting stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I act in my videos. I sure I play character on stage. I'm not like a sassy waitress from the 70s, like in my day-to-day -day life, although it's starting to blend a little bit. But um, I did some improv classes with the guy that wrote MASH and Cheers over the pandemic on Zoom. And that was really fun. Like, and it was on LA time too. So I'd be in my room and be like, I'm a nun that is in a law office. And my husband's like, it's midnight. What are you doing? I'm like, get out. <laughs> I, I love um, physical comedy and improv just because on stage we've never had a crew. So I've had to spend so much time like entertaining an audience while we fix stuff that's broken on stage. So, you know, after 15 years of that, your chops kind of just sharpen on their own. I've always loved improv and I did the comedy acting thing. So you went to North Carolina to study illustration. Illustration. Yeah. My best friend was going there for architecture and I was like, where are you going for school? And he was like, here. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll go there too. And so with illustrating, were you looking at painting in the art side or were you into cartoons and I was mostly in it for cartoons. Like I, I knew I could draw and that was the only thing I could do. You know, I could do music and I could draw and I didn't want to ruin music with school mm -hmm. because I was bad at school. <laughs> like I was just bad at showing up. Yeah. And they didn't really uh, talk about attention deficit disorder. Like I got diagnosed as an adult. Me too. And <laughs> yeah. It, and gosh, I just grew up thinking I was dumb, you know, like a dumb daydreamer that like could not get organized at all or couldn't finish a task or, uh, but the one thing I could do and I couldn't even do it all the time was drawing. Even in college, I'd start a project and like a dog, Hey, look over there. Oh, what's over there? Now it's like, it's just so much better. It is. When you say now it's so much better, did you start taking medication for it? Yeah, I take like a small dose of medication every day and I can see my day of work through. Weirdly enough, I just got diagnosed like in this mm -hmm. last year and I've gone through my whole life and I was able to kind of skirt through life. And then I kept talking to my therapist and she's like, you, uh, you have a lot of symptoms of somebody with ADHD. And I said, is that something I should get checked out for? And she's like, well, it might help. And so I went to the doctor and did the test and they're like, oh yeah, very much. Yeah. <laughs> very much I mean, so. My therapist was the one that told me that too. She was like, I think that you drink to self-medicate your ADD. I'm like, I'm not ADD. And she was like, I think you are. Yeah. And I think you should go take the test. She's like, but you know, when you drink, you have your drink and you're able to hyper-focus and then it goes too far. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how I maintained just by being a functioning yeah. alcoholic. Thank God. Like when I was drinking, like I would black out, but I would always manage to make it home and not get in the shit. That was the thing with me. I thought I had some kind of illness, like early onset Alzheimer's or something <laughs> because I blacked out five nights a week. Yeah. I just didn't remember the end of the night. 
Like I was functioning. Totally. I would have to constantly ask, what happened at the end of the night? What happened? And like, I would, yeah, yeah. Or like, where did the square cheeseburger come from? There's not a Wendy's for miles. I was drinking at home a lot. And so there's just less going on, but I would just be like, I just don't remember after like 10 o'clock. Yeah. My thing, like everybody's like, oh yeah. Like I don't remember going home, but like, I was like, yeah, everything was fine. You know, but then I would wake up. It's like, what would happen when I got home? I just like, you know, drink and call people and then wake up and be like, why am I calling this person? Yeah. You know, like, yeah. oh no. Thankfully, I was good about getting home. I just actually had a relapse. Oh, wow. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I think when I talked to you, I was like maybe 10 days in. Okay. I had just gotten sober for the first time in the last year. And I went like, I know it's stupid to remember, but it's 411 days. I remember still. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I just went to Mexico and started to build up resentment there. And I'd started to build resentment back home and I'd stopped going to meetings regularly and wasn't working it. Yeah. So anyway, we're going to this hotel and it's like an all inclusive drinking hotel basically. And I tell yeah. my wife, I'm like, I can't make it here. There's just certain places, you know, you need to stay away from for until you're ready. And I said, I, I got to go home or mm -hmm. I'm going to drink. And so that's yeah. the two options. She's like, well, I don't want you to go home and be home by yourself. I don't think you're in a good place. And I said, well, I'm just telling you, if mm -hmm. I stay here, it's done. I'm going to drink. She's like, well, what do you think that looks like? And I said, well, you're asking an alcoholic. I'm going to tell you it's fine. And I'm going to go home and I'm not going to drink anymore. Yeah. You know, you were you drinking when you guys got together? Yeah. So she knows what it looks like. She watched the downfall. Yeah. Like she went yeah. from like me being a good, fun alcoholic to just it being yeah, same same with my husband. Like we met and we were like heathens and like oh, yeah, yeah. super fun. Yeah. And then he saw the other side of it and he was like, whoa. But he wasn't mean to me about it. No, she wasn't either. Was she was like, always supportive. Yeah, really supportive. And it was the first person that I ever dated that was supportive. I'd never, I know? didn't even know what a healthy relationship was. I know. I know. Never. <laughs> I know. They're really nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been together for seven years now. Yeah, same with us. Eight years. We got married in 2017, though. We got married like six months after we met because he's from Scotland. Oh, mm -hmm. that makes sense. You had, to, you had to keep him here. Yeah. We went to a pizza parlor and I had my uncle that works in some sort of government. And he married us in the pizza place on New Year's Eve while they were open. And they were like, everybody was like eating pizza. Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so did you did you go on this trip? I did go summer? on the trip. I did drink. And mm -hmm. so I'd made it through almost a week. I think I was, I'd been there in Mexico for like six yeah. days yeah. without drinking. And then the last four I drank. Yeah, I did that when we went to Hawaii. We went to Hawaii for our honeymoon and I did 10 days without drinking. And then I got drunk on the plane with a guy with a MAGA hat on. Sure. Because <laughs> he started engaging me and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to get drunk and be a total dick to this guy. Were you a dick? I think so. Good. Oh yeah. By the end of it, he started off being a dick to me. So in my mind, I was like, I'm going to show this guy what a real dick looks like, you know, and started, you know, drinking gin and tonics and taking his MAGA hat. And then he was like, get this lady away from me. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's like, we went on our entire trip and you get drunk on the plane. Good one. Yeah. So I got back, got back sober and then, but was still doing it kind of half-assed. At the yeah. time, the podcast kind of blown up for a minute. And I was just mm -hmm. like, so I was so focused on that, but I still had my like day job and then mm -hmm. start, shit started going bad at my day job. Textbook stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah. And they were unhappy with my performance. And part of the thing mm -hmm. was that I wasn't going out and being amongst the people and I was in sales. You know, but I mean, in early, in early sobriety for a lot of people, they can't, 
you know, go out. I relapsed for four years until I finally got it. And the thing that helped me was, you know, I was in a detox that uh, it was co-ed. I don't know why it was co-ed because it shouldn't be. And it was just me, one other older dude. And he just like became kind of like obsessed with me and wouldn't leave me alone. And finally, they were like, we're going to have to move you out of here. Do you feel okay to go home? And I was like, yeah, why? And they're like, this dude like wrote a letter saying, I'm in love with you. You're my soulmate, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what the fuck, dude? This shouldn't be co-ed. And they were like, you know, we have this new thing that works for opioid users and it works for alcoholics too. And so you get the shot for once every month for six months. And if you drink anything, you'll be, it's like antabuse, but it is like, you know, you could get antabuse and you could just not take the pills, but this is like, this is in your body for a month. And that was the thing that cured me (laughs) or not cured me. It's an everyday thing, but the abstraction in my head of, oh, you could just have one. Sure. You can have one. That insanity, you know, that was gone because it was like, no, if you have one, you will be in the hospital. And that was like a fact. So after that, I was like, okay, well, I need to learn what do I like to do? And I love to hang out at bars. Mm -hmm. I love it. I've been doing it since I was a kid. I've been doing it way before I even started drinking at them because, you know, I was a bar baby. Those places are comfortable for me. And just to know that they still are and it's okay. But like I can go to a bar and I tell my friends like, hey, you want to meet up for a drink? And they're like, sure. And then we get there and I order a drink, a seltzer. Or a LaCroix or a Yerba Mate or a coffee. I fucking wish that I liked LaCroix. It's wet. I always think of like the lady from uh, the Goonies. When she's like, it's wet, ain't it? Drink it. You know, like you get your drink and I'll get mine. Mine might be a fucking... T- you just saying that made me have to you go to the bathroom. the kind of place you want to go to the bathroom. Maybe. Why not? Because they might have daddy long legs in them. Hey, Mikey, go to the bathroom. <laughs> it's like the best. Yeah. So I got back for a few weeks and then I got sober and then I was having the problems with work. And then I was going to this work function where everybody thought I was checked out and it wasn't part of anything. And I just said, fuck it, I'm just going to drink. And then it just, it never went away after that. And then finally it got to where my wife was like, okay, so now we drink again. And I'm like, yeah, I guess we drink again. Like she was drinking, but like we are drinking again. So yeah, I'm going to go to the brewery and I'm going to do this. But then my alcoholic brain, it just went straight back into it. Sucks. It takes up so much brain space. That's why everybody's like, wow, you made like seven paintings this week and put out like, you know, some stuff. I'm like, yeah, because I'm not at the bar. Yeah. I have time. Yeah, no, you do. One hour a day or every other day. It's not that much time. Like, you know, and even if like you don't get AA or whatever, like it's just nice. It's just like a nice thing that's free that helps you keep up with like caring about yourself. Yeah. You know, because none of those other things work unless you work. And you're always going to hear something that you connect with or you're going to hear something crazy that you could write down and make a joke off of like at some point. I think that even people that aren't alcoholics, the 12 steps just kind of teach you how to like deal with all of your emotions and like how to like be a human. Being human is really hard. There's so many things and it's like it just gives you a little blueprint for how to be a human and how to be available for other people and yourself. And I think they should teach that in high school. And you had an alter ego named Rhonda Lee. Yeah, well, yeah, she had a lot of different names. Roe. Roe. Row the bowler. So the reason why I wanted to bring it up was because yeah. of bowling. 
I love bowling. I love bowling too. Do you bowl still? Yeah. I mean, I haven't been bowling in a while because of bowling is one thing like with COVID. I'm just kind of like, you know, it was gross even before COVID. Yeah, no, I definitely, I have not been, but I'm supposed to get back into a league. Oh, you did the league stuff? Yeah. See, I think that's the thing about being a touring musician. Like I can never do anything in my community. So I think what I was getting back to is that when I quit drinking, I stopped doing all the things because of the pandemic. Yeah. I quit on March 12th. I got back Mm -hmm. from Avid's at the beach. Okay. And and just didn't stop. How was that, by the way? I'm doing that this year. It was a lot of fun. Was it warm enough to swim and everything that time of year? Oh, yeah. It was hot when we were there. But we were in Dominican. Oh, okay. The DR. The DR, as they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People say that. Yeah. My friend moved there and she's always like, back in the DR. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I have a lot of problems with a lot of acronyms. And then, uh, I, but I'm trying to get over that. I know it's my own shit. I know. Oh. I don't know. My wife has a business partner that is like 10 years younger than her or oh. maybe more. And she starts saying these things sometimes. And I'm like, hey, don't say that. No, honey. No. No, no. Just got to keep up with the times. I always have friends that are like 10 or 15 years younger than me or 20 years older than me. Like never really thought about age and friendship. Mutually exclusive. No, like one of my good friends is like 54. And then, Mm -hmm. yeah, I have other ones down to like, I don't know, maybe probably my youngest friend is my niece who's like 28. I think I have a band member younger than her. (laughs) I think Danny Wan is, Danny Wan's a young guy. (laughs) Danny Wan. I've only met Danny too. Let me say this because people should check this out and you should too. So his parents, we met in Venlo, the Netherlands, and he was a member of John Paul Keith's band. And John Paul Keith is a great songwriter, guitar player from Memphis. After the festival, there was like five bands, but it was at a complex that we didn't see each other. Festivals are different over there. And so afterwards, I was like, we should all go out and get a drink and hang out. Theo Lawrence and the Hearts, they're from France and the Cordovas were there. And so I got everybody together. See, this is a thing you can do when you're sober. You can organize. And uh, there's 30 of us and we all walk over to this bar. It was one of the best nights of my life. This bar was called the Take Five in Venlo. And they were closing and the guy's like, I've got like 30 people with me. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. And he was like, wait, you guys are musicians? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I have a really beautiful guitar. And if you guys can play me a song, we'll keep it open for another hour. So I looked at my guitarist, Davey. I'm like, Davey, play Dixie Chicken. And he played Dixie Chicken and we all sang. And then we hung out there till five in the morning and I have videos of all of it. And we just did a guitar pass and everybody like became friends that night. And I met Danny and he was like, yeah, I live in Memphis, but I'm from Cape Cod. My parents are from Kent, England, and they moved over to start a ballroom dancing school. And I was like, so you play in a soul band in Memphis and you can ballroom dance. He's like, oh yeah, I was a competitive ballroom dancer. So I hired him for my band without even hearing him play because I just knew he could. I was like, he can keep time, he can dance. Then he comes for the first tour we were doing, shows me a video of him on Letterman when he was 11 years old as a child prodigy drummer. It's amazing. He gets interviewed by Letterman. He tells this story about a drunk lady flashing her boobs at him. So he's like been out on tour forever, you know, since he was like 13 with like 50, 60 year old dudes. Yeah. 20 years old making out with 60 year old ladies. I'm like, good for you. That's awesome. I know. When you're on Letterman, did you get to meet Mr. Letterman? Just when he like shook my hand and wouldn't let go and asked me for a steak. And then I went 
waited for that steak in my dressing room and I was like, oh, I guess that's just like showbiz for like good show, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then the two other times I was back on it after that, he was just like, good to see you again. You know, like, yeah. I, I fucking love that guy. I did too. Was that on Letterman where you were with Feist as like part of that backup? Yeah, we're a uh, Feist Sky Choir. It was like me and the National and Mates of State and Carl from the New Pornographers. And that's how I met uh, AC Newman, Carl. And then I sang on his record and toured with him and was on Letterman with him. Was Alfie in Fi's band at that time? I don't know Alfie. Bahamas. Her band was uh, the, the Grizzly Bear guys at the time. He played guitar with her for a while before he had the Bahamas. Do you know Bahamas? You know, it was strange that I didn't bring this up, but I got COVID after we saw each other. It was from me. Did you have it? No, I got sick on the last day of tour and I was worried that I did have it, but I had food poisoning from a pumpkin spice latte. Never drinking one again. It's sad because I love them, but I, I can't even say the word. I do understand that. I cannot eat uh, crab stuff. Do you think you got COVID from being out at a show? I do. I was at your show, the one in Boulder, and then yep. I went to see Gogol Bardello. Oh, I love them. I do too. So much. There's a band here in town called, well, they're not local, but uh, Gasoline Lollipops. You should check them out. You'd like them. Okay. They're very like Chris Isaac meets uh, Nick Cave. I love them. Where are they from? So he is from Colorado, but spent a lot of time back and forth between basically Boulder and Nashville. Oh, wow. And was a punk rock kid growing up. Great. I need new bands to listen to. I never like hear of anything new anymore. Before you could go to like Pitchfork or Stereo Gum. And they're still pretty good about it. But like, I don't know how to find new music anymore. Even though there's more bands than ever out. It's like a word of mouth thing. So you're not really going out and seeing people to talk about bands anymore. Other than me. There's a band that opened for us in Portland that were like one of the best bands I've seen in a while called Night Heron. I don't know. You should check them out. That's my that's my suggestion for you. They sound like stereo gum. Stereo lab. I knew where you were going. You know what I mean. <laughs> I did. Yeah. So anyway, the singer Clay Rose and I went to go see uh, Gogol Bardello, who if you get into them, episode four of this show mm -hmm. ever was uh, was Clay. And his Clay story, Rose. Yeah. His story is fucking insane. Like his life story is, is nuts. Cool. It was one. It was one of my favorite interviews. Other than this one. Yeah. Right? Until this one. This was my favorite. I do have a lot of favorites. Like with music, I'm just so eclectic too. I just like, oh, I love that. That's my favorite. And then I'm like. I love so many different types of music. I've become my dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your dad sound cool. His taste in music was very cool. My dad's taste in music was so, I like, you know, it's funny. I didn't know that like my dad had cool music taste, you know, cause like when I was growing up, I didn't know like the blues are cool. Yeah. You know, like you listen to a lot of blues. And then um, my friend Eddie Dugan that actually lives in Denver, he yeah, made me a mixtape and Yellow Snow from Frank Zappa was on it. And my dad was like, watch out where the Huskies go. And he was like, how did you find this? Who? And I was like, Eddie Dugan made me a mixtape. And he was like, immediately drove over to Twin Records in Neptune City and bought me Apostrophe. And then told me he saw Frank Zappa play 40 times. And I'm like, what? You know, like my like square insurance boss dad was a freak. And then I found out I used to go see Rocky Horror Picture Show in New York on Fridays. And I was like, oh, I'm so jealous. Like I was, I wish I could like life swap with one of my parents so I could grow up when they grew up. I do feel like I missed generationally to some extent. Like, could you imagine being alive in 72 and going to see traffic? David Hood on bass and traffic. When we were recording Italian Ice, he was the bass player. And I was like, man, David, 
David, I didn't know that you were touring with traffic. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, like Santa Monica 72. Like, I think it's on YouTube. And then like after one of the nights of recording, we were all staying in a lake house and we would watch David Hood in 72 at Santa Monica with traffic and just like, wow. So bits of it seeped into the next day in the studio. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. It was neat. I feel my brain is foggy. That's I'm sorry. My COVID. That's okay. So wait, yeah. So what it what uh what <laughs> symptoms right. did you have? Tell me your symptoms. Are we having mustaches now? I, I guess I already have one. No, I was trying to be like a therapist. Oh, okay. So I went to your show on a Tuesday, mm-hmm. went to the next show on a Wednesday, and I got in the mosh pit at 41, which is stupid. Oh yeah, that, there you go. <laughs> but I just like I was just I feeling it and I was sober and I was just having fun and mm-hmm. I was like I'm just gonna be 20 years old again it's really second. good that you could bounce back like that I felt I felt pretty good physically and then I just was like you know this time I am not going to isolate myself it, that's the thing I'm gonna go out and play open mics I'm gonna mm-hmm. go to the bar I'm gonna go out and go do shows and, yeah. and be at shows and and stay away from certain friends that like make you feel like you want to drink hang out with friends that are entertaining so i just decided hey i'm just gonna go out and just be the normal me this time i'm just not gonna drink and try and put some liquid in my hand because that way i can yeah. keep sipping <laughs> these things are my favorite even though like that's why i can't sleep anymore but i don't sleep i don't sleep either but i noticed that if i do do like you do do uh, if i do do but if i go so long without sleeping like i love working on stuff at night i feel like you know the frequency is lower and there's more room for me to do my stuff but if i do that too much i don't like waking up late and missing half the day i love sunlight but i will get stressed out after a few months of that and so i have to like put my my screens down, get into bed by 1230, um, put like, you know, the little light on and the little meditation tape and read an actual book and not my iPad. And I will fall asleep. But it's like I have to just do that. And then after a while of that, it starts to become a pattern. I'm the same way. And the other thing is I am like a diehard believer now in the Bluetooth sleep mask. Ooh. So you have the eye mask on. And yeah. It's padded. They're not the best earphones in the world, but yeah. they're the little circles. Shift them into play. And then you can lay down and you can put on an audio book or you can put on music. Are they pricey? No, they're like 20 bucks. Do you work for them? No, I just love them. Oh, wow. I just get them on Amazon. They're great. That sounds great because that's the thing. It's like the earbuds, they hurt when you lay on the pillow. Yeah. And I feel like I'm getting saggy ears from earbuds as I'm getting older. Like I feel like that's the piece of skin that's getting loose. That just happens when you get older. My ear is starting to get a wrinkle when I wear earbuds too much. I don't think it's from the earbuds. It's from the earbuds. It's just from aging. I'm telling you. Our noses, our ears. And our teeth, they're all going to get long. We're all going to look like little secretive Nim. Like, I don't know. This nose has been working on itself for a long time. I just started breaking in high school. You know what sucks is I I finally grew into my face. I was all nose growing up. And now I'm getting older and it's shrinking back again. And I'm I'm like, damn it. Uh, Yeah, I I feel like that too. I I had a moment. But I love a big nose on other people. I know. It's so weird. So I should like a big nose on me. But I have the same thing. Like I see. I like your nose. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. My wife says she likes good. my nose, but I, um, yeah. like Sarah Bareilles, she's uh-huh. got like a great nose. And then people are like, she has the same yeah. nose as you. Why do you hate your nose? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I just, it's. Oh, you guys have good noses. <laughs> I think it's just from like being made fun of when you're a kid. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's all it's from. Yeah. 
you know? Mm -hmm. So fuck those people. Fuck those people. And my thing was it started in high school. I broke my nose a bunch of times. I blur my nose once. And it just started going out. Like some people's like go wide when they break it. Yeah. And mine just stood up. Mine went bump. And then it just kept every time I broke it, it would just keep taking a new step upwards until I feel like now it's like. It's a 90 degree <laughs> angle. <laughs> Mine, like, I broke my nose at a blind melon show. Fuck yeah. During um, the meat puppets opened up at Roseland Ballroom and a boot just went boosh. Because people back in the 90s, when they would uh, crowd surf, they would also kick. Not cool. No. You know, like, why are you kicking? <laughs> I was right up front and this boot just went. And my parents didn't want me to go to the city yet by myself. It was 1992. And I just woke up, two black eyes, sitting in the VIP thing with like a Coca-Cola. Somebody like helped me. And I went home and my parents were like, all right, we're not going to ground you, but we're not going to fix your nose. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think they talked about fixing my nose. No. I have to mention this just because it's really bizarre. But you mentioned some radio station closed down. New Jersey and you got mm-hmm. to go and you got a fanny pack from an old Lollapalooza in 94 yeah. that had the Breeders and Nick Cave. Breeders and Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds on it. I went to that Lollapalooza. That's a great Lollapalooza to go to. It was. I it wish was. I went to it. Yeah. yeah. Tribe Called Quest, Green Day. L7. L7, Parliament, uh, George Clinton. And then. God, the lineups were so good. Beastie Boys and Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. Wow. I went to the 95 one. So it was, uh, it was Sonic Youth, Courtney Love, yeah. Moby. Moby was incredible. Pavement, Beck. And Beck was just solo with a harmonica. He like got booed off the stage and I was like, no, it was awesome. Yeah. I've been to, I've been pretty lucky though. I still am pretty lucky. I try and go to a lot of music. Yeah. I spend, that's mostly where I waste my money. I guess waste my money. I do they it's not, not a waste. It's not. <laughs> Memories aren't wastes. <laughs> Sometimes though, I'll like during the pandemic, it's just like, oh yeah, I'm going to go see them. I want to go see them. And then all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit, I have two shows a week for like the next Great. month. Man, I'm glad that nothing worse happened with to you with getting COVID in a mosh pit. Back to my <laughs> symptoms. Yes. I had two days of cough, mm-hmm. like real bad, to where I got to where my chest was burning and I was like, okay, this is definitely oh, no. COVID. Oh, that's so scary. It was. And then I had one day of like the most runny nose, like just like a real bad mm-hmm. cold. And then all yeah. of that, it didn't block in my nose, but just through my face. And then I had oh, basically like a migraine for the last week until a couple of days ago. All right. So you're on the mend. Oh, I'm on the mend. Yeah. I just got a little Good. cough in the mornings and I'm out of quarantine now based on the CDC and all that. Yeah. But yeah. It's funny. It's like, we're all just like waiting around, you know, like the shows it's like, there's mandates. My sister called, you know, and she was mad because there was a festival in town, the see here now festival. And she was going to see the Avits and she's like, Oh, she wasn't mad, but cause she's got the vaccine, but I guess a lot of her friends don't. And I'm, I don't know why, but she's like, they weren't clear on the policy. I'm like, it's on all of their socials. They send it's, out emails. The policy is for every show shy of Toby Keith. <laughs> And, you know, there there's restrictions in line because our industry got hit the hardest and we're trying to get back to work. And, you know, it's not just about you seeing a show. It's about like thousands and thousands of people being able to work again. Right. You know, and like you have to, you know, get a negative test or a vaccine and wear a mask. You know, that's that shouldn't be that much of an annoyance to make sure that like the bands that you love and their crew aren't out of work. You know, like I have a lot of crew friends that like are dead now because they just got so depressed not having work. And, 
you know, like don't know how to function at home. Yeah. The actual crews of bands have been hurt so bad. They they can't go online and make a TV show. Right. So I think that, um, you know, this can all keep working if we can just like deal with it being not ideal. I'm a big supporter of the vaccine, but uh, I know that a lot of people have different things to say. You know, it's a bummer because it's like, you know what, like most of us were vaccinated when we were kids. And, you know, if this is going to work to at least ensure that you don't die from it, that you like go from like a one in eight chance to or a one in 64 chance to a one in 84,000 chance. I don't know, just do it. And if we all like end up with like three buttholes in 20 years or just boom, dead in 20 years, who cares? Because we get to be alive right now. Yeah. I don't know. I've done it. At first I was really hoping for a good cell phone service because I thought they were going to put that 5G in me and then I was just <laughs> going to be able to rock everywhere. But it, <laughs> that was a, that was a thing for me. Oh God. My, fi- my husband is always like, I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, I got that 5G running through my veins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It didn't work out for me. I've had really terrible cell reception since I was yeah, pretty disappointed. Oh, well, so they were wrong on that one. Who would do that? Oh, God, people are so weird. So fucking weird. So uh, before we go, do you have anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to promote or, or mention? Yeah. Okay. I went to this studio in March in Memphis called Memphis Magnetic. And yeah. I re-recorded Italian Ice with uh, just a piano player and a string section. Oh, sweet. And we filmed it and we made a record of it and we announced it October 12th. Okay. But I'm so Perfect. excited because it was supposed to just be like a small thing to like put out to remind people that I exist before I start doing shows again. Right. And it turned out like it kind of like sparked something in my head when I was singing these songs with no drums or bass and just like the arrangements are almost like... Sondheim meets like Tom York solo albums. And I just felt so connected to my singing. And we did each take like had to be as if it was the one. So every song we had one day to do it. And every song we did three or four times. So it was like, okay, this is the one. And like, I felt like Judy Garland or something. And then after that, I was like, man, I want to make another album like this. So it kind of sparked this idea to make a record of new standards, songs that sound like those old standards, but are about new things. Like, why do a covers record? Just write songs that sound like that because it's timeless and write it about your life. That's awesome. So that's that's what it's called. It's going to be called Memphis Ice. And uh, we're going to do a pre-order for vinyl. I only printed up a thousand vinyls, but it's been like a really nice project to to work on during the time home. But so Memphis Ice is the one you're going to announce on October. October 12th. And then you are going to do this other album after. That's just like the idea for my next, you know, next new Nicole Atkins record. But I don't know. It just felt like how Sinatra would sing with a live orchestra, you know, even though my version of an orchestra is a cellist and violinist because that's all I can afford. But it just, it was just so engaging to do. And, and then when my husband finished mixing it, listening to it back, I was like, whoa, like, I had no idea it would sound that good. Have you heard of this band, The Brother Brothers? I've heard of them, yeah. The Twins? Actually, I met them in, in uh, the Netherlands. The Twins. Oh, you did? Yeah, they're yeah. fun. They are. And I've gotten to see them a few times. Just happened to be that they were in Colorado a bunch. But they, one brother plays the cello and the other plays the violin. And they yeah, both God. kind of play guitar. But it's just like, it's amazing yeah. to have them with their two harmonizing like almost identical sounding voices yeah. and with this cello. And I just, I also, my mom was a ballet dancer 
Oh, cool. She, so I grew up like a ballet studio kid. My cousin is a ballet dancer for the Met. Oh, really? Opera. Yeah. Um, she has one of her students in American Ballet Theater right now. I don't think she has anybody in the Met. But, cool. but so I just grew up listening to a lot of classical as it's well. And favorite. so I just love stringed instruments. And mm-hmm. that is what it makes me cry. Yeah. Well, I just around town, mostly I've been back just playing open mics and stuff. And I'm mm-hmm. like, anybody has a cellist that they yeah. want, like that's all, maybe a drummer and a cellist, or maybe just a, you know, like that's yeah. all I want is my backup. There's two things I want to turn you on to before we go. Okay. Um, is a, my friend who's also on single lock records. Um, he's a cellist and a singer songwriter. He's almost like JJ Kale, but he plays okay. cello too. And, um, yeah. like grew up in a religious cult, <laughs> but, uh, he's not in it anymore. His name's Caleb Elliott. I think mm-hmm. you'd love his music. beautiful and it's really deep and um the string arrangements are great he tours usually with him on cello and his friend kimmy who's a violinist then there's um a fats domino song called um natural born lover and it has the prettiest saddest strings you've ever heard fats domino natural born lover just listen to the string part on it it's just like oh danny one turn me on to it so then the last question that i will ask you do you have any sage advice or wisdom or your thoughts that have been kind of bouncing around your head that you think would be good for our audience to think about or that they might be able to take something from in regards to anything in regards to anything oh yeah yeah i do whenever you're feeling unsure of yourself or nervous a good way to get centered is relax your butthole do it right now it really brings you right in, right, right down the center line, right into, uh, right down the line into focus, relaxing our butthole. I wonder if COVID we get three buttholes from the vaccine, if that will be like an extra sense of relaxation or if that will take away from that because you are then having to kind of like manipulate. It'll probably take some learning and some work, but for right now, you know, just relax your butthole. And go from there. It's kind of like meditation, you know, like a lot of people, like when you first start, yeah, your mind's going to fucking race around and you're not going to do the thing. Always come back to your breath. Always come back to unclenching your butthole. And my thing is like, I don't know if it's from prolonged drug use or whatever, but when (laughs) I like close my eyes, like everything centers in and there's a lot, there's a lot of color and little things going on. I always see like this one little eyeball drawing. Oh, the eyeball drawing. Definitely. You see that too? Oh yeah. What the fuck is that? I think it's our eyes like doing like what binoculars do. And so it we're looks seeing like hieroglyphics. Like, I, it's exactly what it looks like. And it, I think this is my thought. I am not a scientist or a doctor. <laughs> I just play one on the podcast. <laughs> but I think it's our eyes. I love this too, that I'm doing this yeah. because there's like no going visual. Like this this, into- I think it's going into like way that we see vision, but we're like seeing the light from that. Yeah. And then we get the eyeball hieroglyphic. You ever try to see past your eyelids? All the time. Yeah. Sometimes I'll catch like a spot of light and I'll like focus in and try to go in on it. And then it moves. Well, sometimes it breaks through though. And it's like, I see like ultralight. I don't know. I'm all into that and like dreaming and stuff and lucidity. I wanted to get to that, but that'll be the next time you come on the show. Sure. So, uh, yeah, when I look out and I wonder what other people see, because I see all these like fragments of light and particles moving yeah. a lot, like in the light. I talked to my wife about it and she's like, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about. 
And I'm like, you know, like when you look past. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. It's like the universe. It's like, it's like you, how they say you're made of stardust. And it's like when you close your eyes and see through it all, you can see that. Yeah. And then when I open up my eyes now, I like, I can see it in real life. And I'm like, is this like a mental thing or am I just connected in a different way? I always wonder about that. But what we really need to take away from this whole conversation is focusing on our balls. Mm-hmm. Just relax that shit. Relax the ball. Well, relax your ball. I... <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Well, loved having you on and thank you for doing this. Yeah, it's good to see you. Good to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. And I will stay in touch very minimally. Awesome. I'll All see right. you soon, Marcus. Bye. Thanks. Bye. good okay i threw you a softball to start the year (laughs) you did however also recently on a podcast and i wish i could remember which one it was oh my gosh i really do wish i could remember which one it was but they played that song and the gentleman hosting the podcast said if you're feeling nostalgic when you hear this song basically it's it's time for you to seek out a colonoscopy but anyway i was feeling relatively nostalgic when i heard that song and so for about a solid week i changed up my spotify playlist to be like nirvana and red hot chili peppers good choice a little bit of pearl jam which is not at all like me, but it was a really good time for that week. And now I'm done with it. Okay. That's not going to come back up. I just thought. Just throw me a softball. Well, it was a combination of throwing you a softball and uh, I thought I needed to apologize. And I was trying to think what songs are about apologies. And then that one just popped into my head. Okay. Well done. Okay. I see what you did there. Yep. So Nicole Atkins. Yes. Yes. Right before this interview or 10 days or couple weeks, whatever. I'd seen her play up in Boulder. And you stalked her in the weirdest way possible. I did. I walked around the back of the Boulder Theater and she was back there by herself. So it wasn't that weird. It's so weird. You probably scare them sometimes. Never, never. She did say something about me being a sketchball, but Uh uh, but she was fine with it. But anyway, she had on these white Gucci shoes. Mm-hmm. And she had bought them for a music video that then put the wrong tape on, couldn't return them. So how much do Gucci shoes cost? I did a little digging and they usually range from around 650 to somewhere over $1,000. Mm. Compared the shoes to what I thought Nicole was wearing and it looks like they were around $850. Hot damn. Yep. I once bought a bicycle for that amount. I could also get around on a bicycle. Yeah. And I don't know. Hopefully she got them at like a DSW or something. I don't, I don't, I don't think, think you buy Gucci. Yet. I don't think <laughs> they let their shoes go to places like that because then it brings down the uh, Based value. off of what she was saying about the shoes in the interview, I'm thinking that no, she absolutely paid full price for those. Yeah. 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 We also talked about The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Yes. And and if you haven't gone out and watched it yet, do it now. Stop what you're doing. Go watch Secret Life. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mitty it's like my favorite. Yeah. 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 
But this is the second film adaptation of James Thurber's 1939 short story, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, following the 1947 version starring Danny Kaye. And uh, we did a play adaptation of the short story, and I played Walter Mitty in high school. That so. makes a lot of sense. I've got some love for the character. I'm sure she doesn't. Very different, though. I'm sure she doesn't probably care, but for our listeners, did you mention that that's why our dog is named Walter? I didn't. Okay. Because that's okay. a very important in, part of Yeah. For the listeners that yeah. have met Walter many times. and It's kind of a big deal. He's sleeping right now, but he might get up and speak. Um, yes. Yeah, so Walter is named after Walter Mitty, not Walter Matthau. Or not Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite. Not the one from Breaking the, Bad. Not Walter White. Isn't there a Walter Reed? Isn't that the president's hospital or something? I don't know. Walter Reed. Also, my mom said there's a new commercial on mm-hmm. about a super cat named Walter. Mm. And he like does all these acrobatics or something. Cats would make very good Walters. Anyway, my mom thinks about Walter every time she sees the Walter Cat commercial. Your mom thinks about Walter at least four times a day, every day. Probably. She's a very sweet grandma to Walter. She is. She she loves Walter. She always tells me to kiss my wife, daughter, and dog for her <laughs> every time she calls. All right. So Walter Mitty, $90 million budget, grossed $188 million. Well done, guys. Yeah. Good so job, Ben Stiller. It was, that's considered like moderately successful. It wasn't oh, like really? super. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But uh, sounds like a lot. No, I mean, it, it was fine. But um, it was fine. It was. They were doing. It was successful. It was. It just wasn't like crazy, crazy successful. It's. Mm-hmm. It's pretty damn good though when a movie doubles its budget. I would say very few people love the Secret Life of Walter Mitty as much as we do. Yeah, I think it's definitely a cult thing though. So underrated. But for your wedding present to me, you gave me a Walter Mitty replica wallet mm-hmm. with the movie version of the time motto, which serendipitously or unplanned, I put into my wedding vows. <laughs> and that motto is to see the world, things dangerous to come to, to see behind walls, draw closer to find each other and to feel. Yeah. It's really cool. The actual Time Magazine was originally published in 1923. It was going to be called Facts, but was changed to Time. And their motto was, take time, it's brief. I think that was a really good call, changing it to Time Magazine rather than Facts Magazine. Yeah, they just wanted, they wanted a magazine. These were two guys at Yale and they wanted a magazine that like actually had facts in it. Like Mm -hmm. that was real hard hitting stuff. And uh, yeah, they came up with that. So she asked if it was better than Zoolander. And I say, oh, oh dear, I say yes. I mean, I did love Zoolander and I had a little bit of a connection with Zoolander, too, because I was living in Japan when it came out or shortly thereafter. And a friend of mine sent me some videotapes while I was over there because we watched VHS back then. Mm-hmm. and everybody left college for Christmas. All of my friends either went to like Australia or went back to Canada or England or wherever they were from or Japan. And I was at the dorms like almost all by myself on Christmas. Oh, okay. And so I got these VHS tapes. Um, one was Bottle Rocket, which I love, and 
Fletch. And then the other one was Zoolander, which I hadn't seen. And I didn't have a, a VHS player. So I had to go to Akihabara, which is like the electronics district or where, where they sell like TVs and all the electronics. Okay. And I went and bought a combo TV VHS player on Christmas day of 2001 and uh, watched Zoolander on Christmas. And so it's got like a little, you know, it was like a little bit of nostalgia for me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got a special place in my heart as well. Anyway, Hansel, he's so hot right now. Right, right. And this part of the movie is like my my favorite little part. uh, What bark was made out of on a tree. Richard Gere's a real hero of mine. Sting. Sting would be another person who's a hero. The music that he's created over the years, I don't really listen to it, but the fact that he's making that, I respect that. That's probably my favorite line in the whole movie. Sting, I don't really listen to his music, but the fact that he's making it, I respect that. That little clip right there is pretty much my husband mid first morning coffee every single day when all I want to do is exist quietly and drink my coffee. He almost always goes into a tangent. That's about 17 minutes long. That's just a lot of that. So I'm glad that you got to share that with everyone. I resemble that remark. Mm-hmm. And the other part that I really love in Zulam Tell me. Is the fact that the friends died in a free gasoline fight accident. <laughs> I actually do remember that scene. Yeah. But there's this hardcore kind of metal band, It Dies Today, and they have a song called Freak Gasoline Fight Accident. And it was like one of the only songs I really liked of that band. Okay. But I miss this when the interview is going on. But when I listen back, I was talking about someone else pouring drinks into our mouth as far as being like alcoholics. Like mm-hmm. you, it's like this thing in the back. And she said, Schmeagle. And the, the little character from Hobbit from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Or Hobbit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah, is it the same thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was in, he was in Hobbit. There are going to be so many people like probably like, yelling. Yeah. Screaming at their steering wheels because I don't know the difference between all of those movies. Maybe she gave the name to her drinking goblin is Smeagol. Okay. I'm wondering because uh-huh. she just like, she just goes Smeagol. And uh, it was out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, I totally missed that when she she said it to me, but I heard it. But anyway, Smeagol, it's also that they call Gollum. He was originally named Smeagol. And isn't Gollum like his bad guy persona? So what happened was he began as Smeagol and then he was transformed, constantly making this horrible gurgling and swallowing sound, which sounded like the word Gollum. As he began to change, his friends and family mocked him and cast him out of his home, Calling him Golem, the name stuck. Mm. Yeah, Schmeagol. Nope, don't he do wants it. The precious. No, you're not that great at it. I don't usually rem- better impressions. Well, I don't have it. No, listen. okay, never mind. Let's just move on. From <laughs> I haven't this. watched that movie in a long time. I'm not. I mean, I like Lord of the Rings. I did have to read the Cliff Notes yeah. to answer the test questions on that one. I like I Lord of the Rings, but have you seen The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Yes, and I've actually read the play and played the part in school acting performances. Oh, I have one thing to clear up. She said that Scott Walker 4, and I said, oh yeah, that was the first one I was listening to. And as I was sitting there, uh, I realized it was actually Scott Walker 2 was the album that I got introduced to first. And then I went to Scott Walker 4. I just I just wanted to get that off my chest. I didn't want any okay. lies out there in the world. Okay. I always get Scott Walker 2 and Scott Walker 4 mixed up. That's okay. Those are both even numbers. And I'm guessing nobody's gonna hold your feet to the fire on that one okay cool she said when she got got sober for this current stint that she's on now she used 
an abuse or she said she took a shot which sounded was like like an abuse but was different than an abuse but it could have killed her so i tried to look up some stuff on this and an abuse is the brand name for disulfiram which can treat problem drinking by creating an unpleasant reaction to alcohol it is used in recovery programs that include medical supervision Using alcohol, even a small amount while taking this medication, can lead to reactions that may include flushing, throbbing headache, shortness of breath, fast breathing, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, extreme tiredness, fainting, fast irregular heartbeat, or blurred vision. So I went in a deep dive into this and I couldn't find anything specific on the shot that could result in death, but it makes you feel real, real fucking bad. So it looks like there have been like an injectable or like a subcutaneous. Mm-hmm. biodegradable implants which they put in of this into your system and that lasts for longer because otherwise you have to take the pills every day and you only take them for a period of time but when you get these like subcutaneous pieces putting you like they stay in your system for months and so I assume that's what she was on to kick the habit or at least to get started because mm-hmm. it's just like the first 30 days 60 days 90 days can be just fucking miserable and just knowing that you're going to be sick as fuck if you drink makes it easier even if you take like very very small dosage of alcohol it it will make you sick right that's why people like me don't get really terribly hooked on alcohol because we get sick if we smell ipas from the other side of the room exactly so the doctors may have exaggerated that or it may be out there and i just couldn't find it Hmm. but i couldn't find the death but i have a friend that's on antabuse right now Mm -hmm. and uh in his early recovery and if you're listening love you brother you got this okay mini discs and pocket rockers. I was a mini disc guy. I had forgotten these things existed because I never owned one. Okay. Nicole went the pocket rockers route, which was almost a decade earlier. Like it was like early nineties. Mm-hmm. So pocket rockers, pocket rockers are one of the most infectious of modern day tape collectibles. It's a two track loop tape manufactured by Fisher price toys and launched via the larger retail chains in 1988. Featuring two songs, the one by one and a half inch tapes were playable on special Pocket Rockers tape machines and were packaged complete with miniature album sleeves and a free Pocket Pop quiz. A surprisingly broad range of artists was incorporated into the series, including Bon Jovi, Wanted Dead or Alive, Living on a Prayer, Huey Lewis, Hip to be Square, and The Fat Boys, Wipeout. She said she had fat boys. Other issues included the Bengals, Belinda Carlisle, who I used to get confused with Brandy Carlisle when I first her Brandy Carlisle's name because I oh, was like I could see how that would happen and I was like oh oh yeah I remember her you know <laughs> and it, different yeah turned different. out turns out um nothing against Belinda Carlisle right but just different very different and Brandy Carlisle's amazing cutting crew Debbie Gibson expose oh my god Debbie Gibson Debbie what did, I, did I say Debbie I might have said Debbie and then you repeated it but it was Debbie Gibson Deb- yeah that's what I think I said okay think we're alone yeah, yeah. we don't need to like sing them though doesn't I should have used that as my intro I would have never have gotten it oh and then we would have been alone other because Walter wasn't in the room yet no he was in the room I don't know. Okay. Moving on. I feel like there was like a perfume associated with electric youth. Pretty sure that was a thing. Okay. It had a very, like lots of neon colors were happening. (sighs) We might have to do some, but Ray Parker Jr. I don't know. Madonna, Mike and the Mechanics, Tears for Fears, bunch of them. Tiff- Tina Tiffany. Turner. Oh, was I doing Tiffany or was that? Oh, I have Debbie. Gibson? I cannot remember. Tiff. I think I was doing. I think she was the one. I think we're alone now. Anyway, I don't know if this is like pop culture knowledge that you should necessarily know off the top. I of your should. Head. I should. 
It's my COVID. It's my long COVID. It's your weird ass catalog brain. It's gone. Um, it's still there. There appear to have been around 40 pocket rocker releases altogether before the format faded from view during the early 1990s. Some branches of Toys R Us were carrying them at heavily discounted prices into 1992. Still around is collectibles, but I looked to see if they had put them in cereal boxes. Couldn't find that they had ever put them in cereal boxes. I found some books called Pocket Rockers that they had put in cereal boxers. Cereal uh, boxes. Boxers. Okay, not a thing. Repetitive underwear. Repetitive underwear. Yes. That's what I wear every day. <laughs> Cereal boxers. Fuck it. That's that's my, that's my go-to go-to word of the day. So I found these dice on sale when I was looking this up, um, and the game was called Italian Ice, which her name of her album was, and then it looked kind of like the color of the snow cones. So then I was like, mm. okay, Italian Ice. Yes. Or snow cones, essentially with a slightly different liquid. Far superior shaped ice. A superior shaped ice, yes. And there was some kind of RPG game. Nicole said that she did not know about it, but she had made it up from LCR. And then she said left, right, center. And then I started thinking it was some kind of audio thing. LCR, which stands for left, center, right, is a dice game by Bicycle, who is owned by the United States Playing Card Company. And they've been around for over 150 years. Didn't know that. Okay, so how you play left, center, right. Each player rolls the dice and counts the number of dots rolled, numbers one through three. The players who rolls the most dots is the first player. In left, center, right, players only roll as many dice as they have in their possession for the first roll. Each player will roll three dice. After the first roll, look at the dice to see which sides face up. There are four possibilities. For a four, left, give one chip to the player on the left. For a five, center, give one chip to the center pot. For a six, right, give one chip to the player on the right. For every dot rolled, keep that same number of chips. Pretty simple. I mean, as much as I hate board games and card games and those kind of things, yeah, it sounds like uh, one of those. So Danny won. Danny, too, was at the show when I saw her in Boulder. Danny, too, is still just the drum machine, right? Danny, too, is a drum machine. Okay. Okay, so Danny, too, but Danny, one, is Danny Banks. And she was talking about a story when he went on Letterman at age 11 as a guest, as a prodigy. So he wasn't like a musical guest. He did do a little thing, but Mm -hmm. he actually went and sat on the couch with Letterman. And he started playing the pots and pans at five and had his first professional job at seven. Good God. And so Mr. Letterman asks him if he had any strange experiences. And he tells David that there was this drunk lady. Drunk lady. (laughs) Drunk lady. Yeah, that's the mark of a lady. Um, Okay, so you saw a drunk lady. Yep. Yeah. And what happened? And she flashed me. Hello. Okay. So that was Danny at 11. And Danny is from Cape Cod. And I don't know a lot about Cape Cod, but I've been watching this show sometimes when you go to sleep called Hightown. Okay. But I don't know if I even really like it, but it's about drugs, sex, and murder on the cod and focusing on P-Town, which is Provincetown, Massachusetts. The seaside town is the site of the Mayflower's landing in 1620. Okay. And known as a longtime haven for artists in the LGBTQ community, which is what the show's about. It's about like drug, sex, and murder. The girl is like a fish cop, does a bunch of blow. Hold on. Wait. Did you just say fish cop? Yeah. She's like one of the 
Cayman Wildlife Cops. Okay. That's not what I would have called a park ranger, but yeah. All right. The people outside of it on the show that look down on her, they call her a fish cop. A fish cop. Okay. Got it. Not important, but I watch that show a lot. A lot of sex and violence and drugs. All right. All these things. Check, check, and check. Oh, she was talking about getting food poisoning. Mm -hmm. I kind of stopped talking But I got food poisoning one time in my life really bad. And it was from crab stuffed flounder. And flounder used to be my favorite fish. And you can't eat it. And I can eat flounder now, but I'm still nervous about it. I can't do crab really. And I can't do crab stuffed flounder, which is actually a pretty good dish. But I was 22 or it was my 22nd birthday. And my mom, my girlfriend and my roommate, And I went up to an Indian gaming casino in Tennessee for the night for my birthday. Mm -hmm. We were coming back, stopped in a mountain in Tennessee, and they had crab stuff flounder on the menu. And I thought that was a good choice to get. You know, this is a series of choices I probably would not have made. Right. So I get it. I'm driving everybody home. I made it about an hour away from the restaurant Uh before I was so sick that I couldn't drive anymore because I was about to throw up all over the steering wheel. Mm. Yep. And then I spent like the next 24 hours almost ended up in the hospital. Dear God. From food poisoning from crab stuff floundered. So that was my food poisoning incident. Have you ever had a food poisoning incident? I had it in Thailand when we went over to Raleigh, which is why I didn't get to do hardly any climbing while I was over there. Second night I got there. I don't even know what I ate. Well, my whole diet when I was in Thailand because it was my first time out of the country was just trying not to die the whole time. Mm, I, I yeah. like everybody talks about how great the food is in Thailand, but you put, you know, a dumb little farm girl in Iowa in a foreign country and don't explain to her that, you know, culture shock is a real thing. But I got really bad food poisoning. Um, second day I was in, is that how you pronounce it? Raleigh, Tonsai? Um, it's one of the cool climbing areas on the outside of the Adam and Sea. Pretty sure that's correct. Yeah. I lived on Koh Tao. David Hood played bass on on Nicole's last album. Okay. That being Italian Ice, not Memphis Ice, which is her actually last album, but is <laughs> this is really confusing, but it's not. Anyway, so he played in traffic, which was Did he get hit though? Yeah, by a car. That's not safe. No. No, he played in the band Traffic, which was Steve Winwood's old band. Do you see what I did there? It was I thought it was funny. I tried to just roll through it, but you didn't have to bring well, it back up. I, I really feel like I need acknowledgement when I I gave you nail. acknowledgement. Okay. All right, cool. Yep. He got hit by the car. So anyway, he played in Steve Winwood's old band Traffic, which was an English rock band formed in Birmingham, not in Alabama. Alabama. Even though they recorded in Marshall Shoals, that's why I wanted to make sure that you didn't think it was Birmingham, Alabama. What marshmallow place did they record in? Muscle Shoals. Ma- okay. All I heard was Marshall Shoals. And I wasn't sure if you like had a pipe in your mouth or like what was happening there. I've got a little mini pipe. But 1967 formed in the UK, Birmingham, UK, second largest city in the UK. Gotcha. Where is it at again? England, Birmingham. The UK. The UK. <laughs> the United Kingdom. The Kingdom of the United. Yes. Steve Winwood, Jim Capaldi, Chris Wood, and Dave Mason. So David was the bass player for the Muscle Shoals Studio, Sound Studio, which was the house band for Muscle Shoals at the time. And he recorded with Traffic on Oh How We Danced, Shout Out the Fantasy Factory, and toured with Traffic 
during this period, which resulted in the double live album On the Road, after which Mr. Winwood decided that he wanted to go back to a smaller band. And she talked about like having a late night and they all watched the YouTube clips of him playing back in traffic and was like, holy shit, you were in traffic. I don't think I like the band name Traffic because all of the, he played in traffic and he toured in traffic. Let's go watch Traffic. Have we got tickets for Traffic? It's kind of like the dying buffalo. A little. So when we played, we had our first show the other night. I have a new music project called The Dying Buffalo. You can follow us at The Dying Buffalo on Instagram. Is that what it is? Is it just The Dying Buffalo? I believe so. Um, There's not a lot out there. Anyway, when we got done playing, he was like, give a big hand for The Dying Buffalo. And he's like, I feel kind of bad about saying that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm okay with it. Just everyone applause for The Dying Buffalo. (laughs) The Dying Buffalo. If anyone would have seen that dying buffalo in real life, they would have understood that he was worthy of applause and praise in that moment. Yes. And for those of you that came to the show, if you did, thank you. And all that you need to take from that was that it was like seeing the Beatles for the first time <laughs> and don't drive in the left-hand lane unless you're passing another vehicle. Mm, yeah. So we discussed COVID and long COVID and Nicole made some comments about the assistance of the vaccine in reduction of hospitalization and death. But she made some specific like One out of 84,000 or whatever. I found so many different numbers that I don't really want to go into detail on that. However, COVID cases and deaths currently listed as 410 million cases and 5.81 million deaths worldwide. I've heard numbers up to 10. And yes, we know that some of these people were sick with other illnesses. Yes, I get that. (laughs) We're aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still 5.81 million people have died with or relating to complications of COVID deaths. Yeah, which is not nothing. It is not nothing. And all data points point to the fact that the vaccine does reduce death and hospitalizations Mm -hmm. from COVID. And even severe cases. Even severe cases. Yep. However, that all said, I did have the vaccine and Mm -hmm. I did get COVID. Yep. And I didn't die. You didn't, but But it messed you up. do have now what is being called long COVID and it fucked up my life terribly for about (laughs) two months, which made me feel very dumb. And I'm I'm not 100% now, but this is four months later and it's still stressful and scary and it makes me forget things Mm -hmm. at a much greater rate than I used to. Yeah, which has got to be tough for you because you are used to having a very catalog type of brain. Yep. And the cataloging-ness, sometimes I am searching through that Dewey Decimal System for a while. And sometimes I can't find my card until the next day. A funny side note on Dewey Decimal, mm-hmm. Behind the Bastards, my second favorite podcaster, second to you, babe, of course. Of course. Um, just did a episode on the, the Dewey Decimal guy last week, and it was real interesting. Oh, is he a bastard? He's a real jackass. Okay, great. <laughs> Turns out he is racist and misogynist as fuck. That seems pretty typical of that generation. <laughs> Anyone who lived in the 1800s. Right. Anyway, this is from an article that all Google search self-diagnosis people love. Mm. site called uh, WebMD. Oh, no. And this is called New Therapy for COVID brain fog patients by Lindsay Coulter. Tell me more about how your nosebleed is because you have cancer. February 10th, 2022. People with long COVID 
brain fog may be able to recover mental abilities that were dulled or stolen from them by the virus through an approach that has improved the effects of stroke, traumatic brain injury, and other post-viral disorders, doctors and scientists say. For a lucky portion of the population, COVID-19 lasts a handful of days with minor symptoms. But for an estimated 37% who contract the virus, the symptoms can linger for weeks, months, or even years. One of the most common symptoms of long COVID is brain fog, a life-altering condition characterized by slow thinking, confusion, difficulty remembering things, and poor concentration. Fucking <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's... A type of rehabilitation program that allows the brain to rewire itself has been successful in improving the lives of people with brain fog. The approaches are based on the concept of neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity, the ability of neural networks in the brain to change, adapt, and strengthen much like a muscle in the body that has been trained in exercise. I'm not going to go through the rest of that article because it's long. But there's hope in the future. There is hope. And I think I'm going to reach out to... Our friend Josh Turknet that was on last year. The brain guy. Yeah. The banjo he was, brain guy. Yeah. And he created the laws of brain Joe learning technique, which is used for companies and also for learning musical instruments in adult life. And it's based on the ability for the brain to retrain itself later in life through neuroplasticity. All right. Nicole talked about what she wanted to leave people with was relax your butthole. So I looked up people relaxing your butthole as a relaxation technique. And I found five techniques for relaxing the butthole on WikiHow. Okay. And we're going to go through those. Oh, good. We're going to, oh, a, a list. We're doing it. Oh my God. Okay. And it's a good list too. Number one, practice deep breathing while focusing on your sphincter muscles. It's a real weird word sphincter muscles. Breathe in slowly and deeply for about four seconds. Do this while you listen. You can do this because it's real short. Just nobody at that stoplight cares Just, what you, they don't know they what don't you're doing. They don't know that you're breathing in through your butthole. They don't know. Stop looking at them. <laughs> don't, Breathe don't, don't, don't stare at them while stay. you do it, but they don't know what you're doing. So well, you're fine. Stare at your, your children or your dog. Breathe in slowly also, and deeply for about four seconds. Then exhale slowly for another four seconds. As you do this, concentrate on how your sphincter muscles feel. As you feel the other muscles in your body relax, allow your sphincter to relax as well. That was one. That was, okay, this is going to be a really long ass list. Two, meditate to get rid of stress and release the tension in your muscles. In a seated position, close your eyes and take slow, deep breaths through your nose. Focus on your breathing in order to clear your mind and allow the muscles in your body to relax. Typically, your sphincter muscles will also relax as a result of this meditative process. And I was saying that I meditate every day. And so maybe I should use Focus my sphincter as my home base for one of my upcoming meditations. Okay. All right. Three, massage your lower stomach with your fingers. Lie down and apply light pressure with the tips of your fingers fingers on your stomach just below your ribs. Use a stroking motion or small circles down the left side of your abdomen to your hips. Then use your right hand to massage across the bottom of your ribs to the left side of your body before going down your side again. Finally, start at your bottom right side near your hip and massage up toward your ribs. Repeat the other strokes to finish the massage. That one seems a bit more complicated. I think it's just massaging your tummy in a counterclockwise motion. With both hands going in opposite directions at different points. Oh, they're going opposite. I don't know. It seems more complicated. 
All right, number four, if you're trying to make a bowel movement, it will be easier for your sphincter muscles to relax if your pelvic muscles are also relaxed. So this is one where you've got to pay attention a lot and probably me too sometimes. Okay, should I get notes? You can just listen to the episode over and over again. Great, okay. All right, cool. (laughs) You want to prop your feet up in a seated position to relax your pelvic muscles. If you're trying to make a bowel movement, it will be easier for your sphincter muscle to relax if your pelvic muscles are also relaxed. To do this, prop your feet on a small footstool while sitting on the toilet. I got you that squatty they just potty. Described a squatty potty. Yep. So I got you a squatty potty. Mm-hmm. So all you need to do. I don't know if I want our audience to know about my squatty potty, but I guess also I'm a 40 year old woman. They already fucking know. Yeah. They described using a squatty potty. So that's okay. not going to help you because you've already done this. Got it. Okay. Done. Number five, this is going to be your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Unclench your jaw and drink water. Can we just leave it there? Use your finger to relax your sphincter if nothing else works. Apply lubrication to your index finger. No. Nope. Then you insert your finger into your anus. Move your finger around in a circular motion until your sphincter muscles relax. You this know, earlier pro- when I said that you can do this at a stoplight, <laughs> I do this take now. that back. I When you were saying that, and I was, I was only talking about step one. None okay. of these other ones were stop light focused. Just, okay. just step one. Do this in the privacy of your own home. This process may take a few minutes, but as long as you're using lubrication, it shouldn't be too painful. What I'm going to probably... It, are we trying to achieve here? Anything going into my anus is very triggering for me. Of course. So I, uh, I'm i not going to do that one. No, no, you don't have to. Okay. No. Just unclench your jaw and drink water. So that was her thing to go out on. But somehow then we started talking about seeing lights in the eyeballs and being able to see the eyeball hieroglyphic in your eye. Is that the right word? Hieroglyphic? Isn't that writing on on like... Yeah, yeah. But that's what that light looks like. And I know exactly what she's talking about. So yeah, it's like the ancient Egyptian drawings. It looks like an ancient Egyptian eyeball. Okay. I tried to look up what is the eyeball light and all the different things. I couldn't find it exactly, but (laughs) what are closed eye hallucinations? When you close your eyes, you may be able to see colors, shapes, and light. Some of the images may also move or create a swirling effect. It's your rods and cones. Some visual effects are sometimes called closed eye hallucinations because such objects Objects are literally in front of you. In contrast to open eye hallucinations, the visual phenomena you see when you shut your eyes often have kaleidoscope effects. This is especially the case if you wake and in a lit up space while your eyes are closed. Did you ever do that thing in science class in high school where you close your eyes in a dark room for a period of time and then you have like somebody guide you into a hallway and look down the hall of the light opening? And then you close your eyes and then you can like look and see because it burns the image in your eye. And you can actually like see how many people are around you and see the full detail of people. Uh, No, I can't say that I did that. So the other thing that I found that is probably closer to what we were experiencing is most of us have experienced that you rub your closed eyes or sneeze and subtly notice some flickers or sparks of light in your vision. But by the time you open your eyes, they're gone. These small lights are usually phosphenes, P-H-O-S-P-H-E. 
E-N-E-S, a visual phenomenon caused by mechanical stimuli resulting in pressure or tension in the eye when the eyelids are closed. The internal lining of the eyeballs is called the retina. The retina's job is to take visual information entering your eye through the pupil and convert this information into an electrical signal. The electrical signal is then sent to the brain to provide us with the visual image we see of the world. Phosphenes are generated by the retina after there's some sort of stimulation, even with the eye closed. So what my idea is, that we're getting some kind of reflection in the light of like the light coming through the pupil. But you know, like when you do in binoculars, you have two mm-hmm. eyes, but then it comes together in one image. So I think we're seeing like the backs of both eyes, but the image it comes together. And so we're seeing like one eyeball because that's where the light is going around the pupil. And that's what's making the hieroglyphic, but I couldn't find it online. So that's just my own. That really went theory. off the rails. Okay. All right. That's all. (laughs) All right. Cool. And I love you. I love you. And I love Walter, our dog. And I love Walter. And we love all of you. Yeah. And just remember, kid, we're all in this together.